so much. You don't miss me. I do. I miss you so much. Don't say that. I miss you too. How are you, my dear? I'm good. How are you? You know me. Always moving. <laughs> Always good. Yeah. Um, so we know each other because we were coworkers at Equinox for what felt like an eternity. I mean, a long time. I mean, you're still there. You've been there how long now? It'll be eight years. This October, eight years. Uh, you made it longer than me. I worked there six years before going out on my own. Um, right. But uh, yeah, so I had Chris on last mm -hmm. week, your bestie. <laughs> Um, and we were talking I'm, about I'm you. never referred to each other as besties ever. <laughs> never once have I've been like, Chris is my bestie. Never once happened. <laughs> well, <laughs> I call you besties. <laughs> that is that is the homie. That is yeah, absolutely. Love Chris. Uh, yeah, and you came up, and I'm like, oh, I have to have Marvin on. And then I thought, well, why not ask him if he can do it this week? So, right, cool. so, so I was, a, I was an afterthought. After no, Chris? no, okay. no <laughs> I got it. No. I gotta That's get everybody on. I have like the list of people that I want, and then I just go down that list. And mm. so, anyway, I'm so glad that you came on today. Um, I of course, like this whole podcast is about people that inspire me and you've always inspired me. Um, I know quite a bit about you because we were coworkers for a long time and friends. And I would just like for you to share your story. You're also a comedian like Chris, you're hilarious. And I love going to your shows and seeing like your, you know, you're, you're doing like zoom shows now, which I thought was really creative. And, um, you've got, podcast and so I just want to talk about your story and like how you grew up and where you got to where you are today I know you're a single dad as well which I would love to get into and I feel very old that your kid is 16 now so I remember when he was just a little guy when he was eight yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> um so anyway I'll turn it over to you but I would love to know I know you grew up in New York right no I'm from Baltimore Baltimore City, born and raised. You lived in New York? Yes. Okay. For some yes. reason, I thought you were from New York. Okay. Yeah, and I need fine. to hear your story, because I don't know as much as I thought. Morgan. Marvin, I know so much about you. So tell me about growing up in New York. <laughs> I think I can say a million things I know about you, bye. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I don't, I don't think that's... <sighs> we'll just edit this part out. It's fine. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm, I'm originally... A Baltimore City, born and raised. Um, we moved a lot around Baltimore City um, because my mom was literally trying to keep us in the best neighborhoods uh, that Section 8 <laughs> could find. It's, uh, I'm the middle of seven, so oh, no. you know, there was a lot of us, a lot of mouths to feed, a lot of movement. So my mom, you know, did her best, which I'm always thankful for my mom and but we move a ton a bunch of different schools and a lot of that is kind of the beginning of my story uh, I used to when we would transfer always have to make new friends mm -hmm. right and it was it was never like we transferred to a place where I knew people it was always like new place new place 
And so I remember the thought and I vividly going, people would like me if they just knew how funny I was. Cause I thought I was funny. I thought it was hilarious at a young age. And my friends, you know, once I made friends would always go, you're so silly, goofy, funny. And so I had to figure out how to make friends every time I moved. And so that's legitimately the birth of uh, my comedy. That and being the middle of seven mm -hmm. and, you know. <laughs> you had to stick out, like you're the middle of seven. You're like, Please look at me, someone. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, I'm the oldest of just, there's two of us. And I feel like I was the same way. I mean, as the oldest, like, look at me, look at, no, forget about her. I was the only one. You don't need her. Years. We don't need her. Like, look at me. And the thing is like, as the first one, you get all the attention. And then it's like, well, there's a new one. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> In the middle, you're like, wait. Yeah, like. You, I, I came in when they stopped caring about babies. Like there was, it was like, do you need to burp him? Nah, he'll be fine. You want to change his diaper? He'll figure it out. It was like, okay, that's weird, but yeah. Uh, so in second grade, my aunt gave me a book and it was called Ventriloquism for Dummies. Like the whole play, Dummies for Dummies. Anyway. So I had started to learn to become a ventriloquist, throwing my voice, speaking with my mouth closed, all of that stuff. And that's one skill. But in order to perform, you have to tell jokes. So my first stand-up gig ever was second grade, uh, Emerson Heights Elementary School, doing a terrible ventriloquism job and telling some jokes. Um, but moving through that aspect of my life, I went to college, first in my family to go to college, um, which was Penn State University. Yeah. And then um, I think college was, was a, a big shaping time for me because at that time, there was sports and I had all these, these, these goals and plans and then there's injuries and all of a sudden you're like, what do you do? Like, it, it became a, like a, I guess a, a restructuring of what my life had to be. Mm -hmm. And we had someone come into the, the, to the school to do standup and he was trash, absolute horseshit. And so, me being a young dickhead started to heckle him. And then I heckled him for most of his set, which now as a comic, I was an absolute dickhead, but I did. And everyone was like, Marv, you should really start telling jokes. And I was like, nah, not me. I don't tell jokes. Years later, I finally do my first stand up bit and here we go 10 years after that wow and you um, never thought you would so in college first of all 
how did your family react to you being the first one to go to college and, and your siblings like were they supportive or were they kind of jealous or like how did that how no did one that... cared no one cared yeah like i so i come from the the family and every family is different right but college wasn't a family thing so my mom's goal was you need to graduate high school period mm -hmm. if you graduate high school yeah on my job yeah uh, that's and how then what was too my hmm? family, I, so that's how my family was too like no one's really gone to college or anything in my family either and my parents were like as long as you graduate high school we're good yeah, yeah. so anything more was like my siblings didn't really care no one was like look at you trying to it was like whatever okay and what, uh, made you, what made it important for you to go i just i had always knew i was meant to do more mm -hmm. right like i i always knew i was meant for more i didn't know what the more was but i knew like i didn't study in high school or i studied very minimally and i was a straight a student all throughout middle school um got to high school started to you know be a teenager and then finished straight a's i think i got one d because the teacher didn't like me and then i got a's the rest of the semester so i always knew there was more and everyone started telling me like you're supposed to go to college. There's your more. And it was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then, um, so I just, college became a conversation piece from outside the family, never inside the family. There was no, I didn't have any family members go, hey, you're the one, because no one cared. It was so you're going to a trade school after college? Like, no, college is supposed to set me up to, to not have to go to trade school. Ugh, I don't know, you can make some good money riding trucks. Did you have any idea of what you wanted to do when you went into college or? No, I, um, I did what a lot of kids did and, and still do. I was good at something and so that was the, the the journey, right? So I was good at math and science. And so it was like, you're gonna be an engineer. Okay, I guess that's it. And as I went through high school, going into high school, I was like, oh, mom, I wanna go to Baltimore School of the Arts, which is our acting theater school, because I kind of always had that like desire to perform and entertain. No, you can't make money doing acting. Okay, so I went to Baltimore Polytechnic, which was an engineering high school. Um, did extremely well there, graduated, went into Penn State in the computer science and mathematics program. Like everything I was doing was because I was good at it. And then one day, uh, one of my professors was like, you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. And I was like, oh, nah, I'm not gonna be able to do this. Computer engineering, computer engineers, the ones that I've known are some of the worst people in the world. Like they're just boring. They're boring people. Now Morgan, imagine me sitting in the office where everyone's like this, no. being me, like it wouldn't even work. It wouldn't work. 
Yeah, like we can't focus with Marvin telling jokes. Like, sorry, but this is this is the worst. No, well, and you're really active, and every day as a trainer is different, and you know, acting and stand up and everything is you're around people all the time, different people every day. Um, Chris and I got into this last week too. Like, we're just not designed to sit at a desk. Like, it's just no. work for someone else. It just doesn't work. My my brain does not allow me to function. Like, as a writer, you even get to play in journeys as you're writing. So it's not the same monotonous life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, no, I, I, I don't even think I could sit still now for eight hours mm-hmm. uh, without losing my mind. Yeah. So, so you're in college and then doing like studying you just realize that you can't do that yeah well the so the professor um approached me to do something and i was like can i think about it and me thinking about it was offensive to him like he was like what do you mean because if you would have asked any of the other students in the program they would have been like absolutely but you know the black student that knows what he's doing, it always looks good. And he was like, yeah, let's get uh, that guy. I was like, let me think about it. It was a very honest, like, do I feel like dealing with it? And he was like, you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. And I was like, yeah, no. So I, 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 I applied and auditioned for the theater program. And I was accepted into the theater program. And it was like, yep. <laughs> uh, so that's that's part of my going through the theater program having a kid very young yeah how old were you when you had d darion was when darion was born i was 21 like but i had turned i had turned 21 in june he was born in october Uh, and i can tell you now i'm barely mature enough to have a kid right now I was not mature enough to have a kid at 21. Well, but you've always been an amazing dad. I mean, I tried to be for, you know, like you said, I think he was eight when I met him and he was always, because a lot of our coworkers bring their kids in, um, you know, to the break room and stuff. And I just have these memories of him being this so polite and sweet and well-behaved like he was like the coolest kid and you could have conversation with him I mean and I remember offering him candy one day and he goes I'm gonna have to ask my dad first my heart melts I'm like okay (laughs) so you've done a very good job I mean I know you probably think like god I was really immature 21 you know but he's amazing so you did an amazing job well we'll see he's 16 now and boy i tell you this is it's not the same kid no (laughs) (laughs) but teenagers are tough though like you know i mean yeah i'm I'm going to be polite Okay, so you're 21, you have this kid, mm-hmm. and, then, and then how does that affect your life? Um, it made me grow up, thankfully, because um, 
you know me and everyone who does know me knows I could be a, a bit crazy still, um, a bit on the wild side. I just, I like that fun, right? And like, that's just who I am. And having a kid was like, oh, I have to go to work. I have to get a job that is, you know, sustainable. I, have to, I had to do a series of things that I wouldn't have had to do at 21. You know, at 21, I could have couch surfed for the next five years of my life at friends and family. And no one would have been like, hey, get your life together. Right. But at 21, it was like, you have a kid, get your life together. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was important to me because my dad wasn't uh, the greatest. And so it made, for me, it was, I'm going to not repeat Mm -hmm. what I had to, what I experienced. And when my siblings- Your parents weren't together when you, they, when did they split? My parents <laughs> split, that's funny. My parents are black, Morgan, and black relationships are a little different than other people's relationships. Um, my parents got married five years ago. Oh, they got married five years ago. For the first time. Not a re, not a, not a redo, not a, oh, no, first time, five years ago. Wow, well, good for them, though. Is right? It? I don't know. No? Oh. No, no. The jury's still out on it. Okay. Yeah. Well, they like, obviously love each other to have gone through, like, everything that they've, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but gone through in their life, you're like, look at it. and they still want to be together and they finally get married after all this time. I just think my dad got old and uh, being old, the playmate in him was like, oh man, I'm tired now. And it was like, hey, Carolyn, what you doing? Like, I want to be taken care of when I'm in diapers. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think this came. And mind you, I don't know because I've not had the conversation. It just doesn't seem like it came from like a sincere place of like you have been around and you have raised my kids and you have been nothing but. I don't think that was the conversation in his head. That might have been an external conversation, but inside, I think he was just like, "Boy, I'm starting to get old." <sighs> so, how's your relationship with him now? Um, I don't. I, it used to be rocky, it used to be really rocky. And now I, I have no problems with my dad. And that's because, because of therapy. But one of the things that I, I've learned and I've accepted is my dad operated the best way he could with the tools that he had. Uh, I don't think in one instance, it was against any of us, right? I don't think none, I don't think he had any problems with any of my siblings. Mm -hmm. I just think with the tools he had, that was the best he could give. Mm -hmm. And you can't be mad at that. Right. Oh, I get it. A hundred percent. I've been through a lot of therapy too. I had daddy issues and I love my dad and we're close now, but growing up, um, kind of same, like he wasn't the best dad and he knows that. And right it really messed me up in relationships. And, um, and for a long time, I just thought, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not, 
whatever enough. And I would try so hard to get his attention. And really it just came down to like his stuff. I took it so personally, but it's not personal. Like, like it's just that he had a really hard upbringing and he didn't want to be his dad or his mom. Like his mom was really, you know, abusive to him in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. so like, he didn't want to be his parents. And so he just decided it was best to just not really be around at all. Like, like not like he would only allow us to get so close to him. And I'm like, why doesn't my dad want to be around me? Why doesn't he want to spend time, you know? And I took it so personal and would try so hard, but it's like, you know, growing up and in therapy realized and having conversation now as an adult, like it, it had nothing to do with me. It was all him. And I'm sure yeah. your dad was the same. It had nothing to do with your your siblings. It was just his stuff. Right. And that's, and that, it takes time to understand it. And then it takes time to accept it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, because once you understand it, then you still have your own feelings to process with it. But yeah, I have no, I have no issues with my dad. The last time I saw him was for my, my older brother's wedding. And it was, it was all really good. Mm-hmm. So you know. But you knew that you wanted to be a different dad for, for yourself. Right. Yeah. I want to be a very different dad. And so that's what the goal has been. And now it's not be the opposite of my dad. It's just prepare this kid for what life is really about to be. Like there, there was a shift and it's like, all right, now it's not just about being present. I've been present. I've been around you know, you know me, yeah. you know, you can call me, we talk about any and everything. Mm-hmm. So now let's prepare you to be an actual man mm-hmm. um, and a black man in this society, which is fun. Uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, you're doing an amazing job. I know teenage years must be kind of brutal. Um, and yeah, but I mean, I did see a lot of your posts, like, especially during, um, you know, this last year, like with Black Lives Matter and everything and, and just seeing like how you are with your, with your son. And, and I just think it's beautiful. Like you are such a great dad and just such a great person. And I, um, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I do. And no, I see that like you post so much about like like i think i went on live with chris now that we're getting into to this like just during like everything with i was honestly like one of those people unfortunately that were kind of like racism is still like a thing the thing because in my world like in my bubble i guess like Mm -hmm. working at equinox and we have a lot of different people a lot of different races a lot of you know and everyone was just cool with each other and like friends and then I was like asking one of my clients who's you know young she's 16 um and I'm like do you ever experience like do you ever experience anyone being racist to you and she's like yeah and I'm like really and I was just like I gotta educate myself and I I went on and I got really emotional with Chris because we were talking about um, I'm like, it just hit me that like, 
like George Floyd, that could have been you, Don, people that I love, like, and I just got, like, I'm just going to get emotional now. And I'm like, we have a huge problem, huge problem. And, uh, and I just feel like so dumb because I'm like, I just really didn't think it was that bad. Like in my little world, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's no fault in that. Right. Like no, there's no fault in not knowing because of your experiences. Right. Um, I think part of the issue that we really face in America is you don't have to know because you're not a black woman, not a black guy. So no one's going (laughs) to, no one's going to grab their purse when Morgan walks by, unless they know Morgan just got out for being a kleptomaniac. Like (laughs) that, that's not a, that's not your experience. Right which is absolutely okay. The problem is when someone shares their experience and then the response is, nah, but that's not because of that. It's like, you've now the communication has changed, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm not gonna fault you. Listen, I didn't know what white people were like growing up. I remember the first time I went in the room and I was the only black person in the class, I was like, where did all these white people come from? Because they were not around. And like, it was the opposite. It'd be like one or two white kids uh, and in and, and my class to switching to the other side. So I didn't know, you know, what hikes were. I didn't know that you could eat macaroni and cheese as a sole dinner with like nothing else. Like those were like things I was like, oh, this is different. Yeah. So I would never knock an experience. The the knock comes from when you get people who say George Floyd deserved what he got, or he was high and on drugs, or you get like the Breonna Taylor situation where it's like, well, she lived in a bad neighborhood. It's like, just because her neighborhood wasn't great doesn't mean that that woman deserved to be shot and killed. And that's where, that's where the race... Racism no longer lives, not no longer, but minimally. It doesn't live in the, hey, nigger. They don't, they don't, that racism is not the, the racism anymore, right? The racism now is, hey, these schools aren't equal. And these schools aren't equal because this neighborhood's property tax supports this school, while this neighborhood property tax support this school. Now, generational wealth has already shown us that there's a huge gap earning between black and white families. Then you go about what, how much wealth was accumulated over that time. Now, you have a school that is operating on $350,000 a year, an entire school versus a school that's operating on $3 million a year. And these are public schools. These aren't your private schools. So how can you then say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps or our education is the same when you have kids that are learning $3 a head for the year versus $10,000 a head for the year. That's where the racism is because you go, this is not fair. Yes, it is. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want my property taxes to do this. I don't, because it's the norm. People want things to remain normal. But in that normalcy, racism thrives. 
Yeah, I yeah, and I watched you know a couple documentaries like where I realized like the the system I guess is is like totally rigged to to make people fail. You know, like to to like really like have you know people have a harder time being successful like you're saying with education with jobs with everything pay and it's it's like got it's got to change and i just i like i said i had no idea like right. you know no idea and um, that's the the point is we need to have the conversation but people still don't want to have the conversation that's the problem right like and then when someone does something to to enjoy their privilege right or to or to knock someone else for not being a certain way then they don't think it's racism they just think it's situational mm -hmm. right so it's like oh well no this situation is this and i'm this and i'm not that and i would never say that and so you can't have the conversation because they're so against the idea that some of their practices may be steeped in racism because they believe racism and prejudice are one and the same and it's not mm -hmm. and that's the problem mm -hmm. prejudices are one thing the systemic racism that powers america is a whole nother thing 12 percent of your population cannot be 75 percent of your prison system mm -hmm. it does not add up So how do we, like, I mean, I just, like, look at the media today, obviously, and there's, like, I, I mean, uh, and recently, too, you see a lot of, like, cancel culture and stuff and, like, people, and, and there's, a, there's a lot going on with that, but what do you feel like is going to really make a difference and change, like, obviously, having conversation and and making people more aware of what's going on. But like, where do we, like, where does it go for, like, how do we make a difference and and have change? I, this is what I, I try to, I believe, I have my own belief, right? And there are people whose beliefs will be different than mine and, and so on and so forth. But I believe it always, it starts and ends with the education system first right and this is why if you get a decent education your earning power becomes higher your earning power becomes higher you can sustain a home you can sustain a home you can have a family you can pass on that knowledge that drive that that new standard right like you're going to get a college degree right now what becomes standard is in that household in that family and that that next generation is like oh no you're getting your college degree then the next generation is like, oh, we get masters in this house. Oh, well, your dad's a doctor, your mom's a doctor, your aunt's a doctor, your cousin's a doctor. And you're like, well, I got to be a doctor, mm -hmm. right? Now that takes generations to change, but it's got to start with the first set of education. Mm -hmm. And now how do you equate, how do you get education to be equal? You don't have neighborhoods that are that get their their um property tax only you pull the property tax property tax 
you equalize the property tax, you disperse amongst the schools equally, period, right? Because that gives every school an equal footing to start. Mm -hmm. Now, if this school in this nice neighborhood can fundraise a couple million dollars, which they can, then that's fine. But this school is not operating in the red anymore. It's operating level. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone falls in the bell curve, right? Like if we take any question about anything in the world, we all fall in the bell curve, right? You got normal motherfuckers, you got a couple of elite people, and you just got dickheads. And you leave the dickheads where they are, right? Dickheads are going to come no matter what social, economic, whatever. But if you put everyone equal, all of a sudden, the bell curve, those that are elite can be elite. Those that are in that front end can stay in that front end. Those in the middle are in the middle, but the middle is no longer back here. The middle's up here. Now you get that next set of generations to move and that bell curve shifts just a little, but now that elite is moving forward again. That's how you do it. This is not a, everyone wants a quick fix. Everyone wants to do a fan service um, racism removal, right? Where it's like, take Uncle Ben's off the box. Yay, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Aunt Jemima, uh, so now I got to eat Pearl Mills? I'd rather have Aunt Jemima. Like, I don't care. That doesn't, I've never grown up and been like, man, the best thing I can do is be on a pancake box. That's not my problem. Mm -hmm. My problem is going to school and my textbooks falling apart, not having a spine, or having textbooks that are copyright 1993 when the school up the street has this year's textbook. Yeah, I completely agree. And I had this thought uh, the other day when I heard they were trying to change the names of schools and stuff like even like Abraham Lincoln. And I'm like, okay, um, that doesn't do anything for today. Like history happened. You can't pretend it didn't. You can just grow from it. So in my opinion, I'm like, okay, so where does this stop? Like, changing names of things, taking certain things off of products, like, okay, so we're going to pretend like nothing happened and just sweep it under the rug. We can change all the names we want. That's not going to change what happened. Yeah. And it, it's like, that. it's pointless to me. It's like, it's like, okay, that happened. And okay, we grow from it. And we do what you're talking about to make a real difference. But yes, changing the names and canceling certain things like it's fan service it's okay. fan service yeah it's okay like what does that do though in the end like the right big like they here. they cut peppy le pew out of the movie yes because he was being pepe le pew and yeah. it's like the reason why they did it wasn't for really trying to go let's make sure women's rights and women are respected it was here's a fan service thing but are you going to do something to push towards equality in the workplace towards women no okay mm -hmm. i don't need fan service now when we talk about confederate flags and soldiers and names fuck those guys they were actual 
treasonous who went to war against the United States of America. They should have never got a trophy. They should have never got any. You don't go to Germany and they be like, listen, we got the statue of Hitler, but hear me out. Because <laughs> Hitler united that. Like, they don't do that, right? They're just like, eh, we don't really fuck with Hitler because he was kind of fucked up. We should treat our Southern insurrectionists the same way. Right? That I'm fine with. But that's not fan service. That is letting history be true to history. No losing military anywhere has statues. Not one. No country in the world has been like, hey, they lost the war. But man, did you see those blue suits they had? Boy. <laughs> yeah no it's uh, you're right it's, you've never been to britain they'd be like hey we got these red coats remember <laughs> remember it's not a fucking thing so i don't understand why we are just like hey i don't respect yeah. our heritage it's not heritage you lost yeah you're 100 percent right um i do want to go back to you talking about like college and everything is that somebody or is that something that you are encouraging your son to do. Does he know like he's got to go to college after you're making it a? There's a bear shit in the woods. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, our one of our biggest recent problems has been him focusing on his education. Well, he wants to do. I see. Still doing Zoom. Yeah, and that's. I know it's hard, but it's not. Right. Like we're, we're dealing with very simple things. Do what they ask you to do. Don't pick and choose what you decide is important and is not because what you decide is not important still gets a zero, mm -hmm. right? And guess what? You're not doing anything. You're home. Yeah. So yeah. just do it. And like, so we've done a lot of fighting because he wants to be, he wants to be a basketball star and he's a pretty good basketball player right now. Um, and that's, he's just like, I'm going to do that. And it's like, well, you can't even play ball if your grades aren't what they're supposed to be. He's got to go to college. Yeah. Right. You want to play for the Maryland Terrapins. You need better grades than this. So we, we're having hiccups in that. But, um, like I said, generationally, what he gets to see now is his dad and his mom both went to Penn State. So he understands that that's not really a question mm -hmm. as opposed to, like I said, my mom was just like, whew, out of high school. So he understands that. And the expectation will be he pulls it together. And then when he has kids and I'm a grandpa at some point, mm -hmm. a very young, attractive, hot grandpa. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kid will understand like, oh, well, everybody's in college. My grandpa's a, a, in this uh, Greek organization and then this is this. And, and again, establishing generationally right. the changing of the guard. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so how is your relationship with his mom now? Because I know you guys aren't together for those of you that don't know. <laughs> How is that now, like co-parenting? Because I know there's a lot of listeners that, that are co-parenting and it's not the easiest thing. So how is it with you guys? <laughs> oh, 
we are not co-parenting well. Okay. Um, and we are not co-parenting well because we don't communicate well. So for, for people who are looking for guidance and co-parenting, I would say, let the past go. I think a lot of people get stuck in who people were uh, and mistakes people made and instead of dealing with what people are now. Um, the other things are ego. Check your ego. Nothing, nothing that's happening with that kid is about you. Nothing, right? So even if you don't want to talk to me, talk to me about the kid. Right? One. I don't care if you talk to me. I don't care what you do with your life. When it comes to dealing with this one that we have had together, mm -hmm. let's put our energy into that. And sometimes uh, me and his mom don't do that well. Mm -hmm. That's um, gotta tough. It's got to be tough. I know. I, I have a friend kind of going through that right now and dealing with his ex and and the way that his kids are feeling and he's trying to communicate with the ex about the this is what the kids are saying and and she's like in a space where she's just wanting to be selfish and do things for herself and not really putting the kids first and then that irritates him and then the kids are yeah. and, and i see it and i'm like man that's got to be hard because you don't you can't force the other parent to parent the way that you would want to parent and you see your kids getting hurt and you're like i mean i i just see a lot of friends and clients that are going through it and it's tough it looks tough it's tough because what you again like i said what you want at the end of the day is you want to do what's best for the kid mm -hmm. and sometimes that's only one parent's sentiment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the other parent has different a different focus at the time and i'm not to say and, and i don't want people to, to think that i'm like oh here's me pointing a finger i'm just saying if your focus is not there then it 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 does a disservice to the other parent and the children mm -hmm. right because now because there's a, a a missing piece of communication the kids aren't getting the same message mm -hmm. and that become it becomes really hard to have a kid focus on one message when they're receiving two messages yeah um yeah so it's it's just you know it's something that we try to improve upon sometimes it gets a little better sometimes it doesn't sometimes it's a little better sometimes it doesn't um i don't know you're doing a great job. I'm, I want to reassure you that your kid is amazing. Uh, even if please, you wanna, please do. Even if you want to beat them sometimes, I'm sure. Teenagers are tough. They're tough, but you're doing a good job. So with your, okay, so I, I did want to talk about, you're obviously a trainer. That's how we met. You still train at Equinox. Mm -hmm. um, and how did you get into, because I know like you're an entertainer by nature, that's your passion. You do acting, writing, stand up. You have a podcast that I, you know, will let you 
plug later. And, uh, you know, you do a lot of stand up and you're doing a virtual show with Chris on Fridays. And so you've got a lot going on there. Where did training, because you're, you guys, you got to check out his Instagram. Your body has always been amazing. Zero percent <laughs> body fat. And so how, I know you played like, you know, sports and stuff. You're, you know, so how did fitness and training come into play? Is that also a passion that you have? Or is that just like something that you chose because it, it allows you to be flexible to do the other things you want to do? Or when I got into fitness, I had no idea my schedule would be flexible. Um, I had, I had, I had had an injury, my left knee, um, and I tore my, what was it, my medial meniscus, my MCL, and took damage to my LCL. How'd you do that? I got rolled on. That's it. Mm. Off of a pileup, a roll on. Mm. Fine. So I had become really interested in what was happening during my rehab. Uh, and I was like, oh, so this is this and that is that. So I like I looked up because I, you know, they say this and they're like, I don't know what that, what that means. Mm -hmm. So then I looked up, oh, it means this. Oh, this is what a grade two tear is versus a grade three versus a grade one. And, you know, all of those things started becoming really interesting. And then as I was rehabbing, understanding like why we're doing this many reps with this leg versus that leg and and understanding and I was like oh this is kind of dope and so it piqued my 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 interest and then I was like yo so if I was training right the first time the chance of me getting injured would have probably been less but the old I mean I'm sure the workouts are so much better now but the old workout was like here's some squats do some do some bench press get strong get out there and be great as opposed to like balance and front and back and sagittal plane and frontal plane and transverse and all these things that just never happened became words that kind of stuck so i was like oh i want to do this mm -hmm. no i i hear you it's so funny because i was the same way i'd never been interested really in much before like i did photography for a long time and i was interested mm -hmm. in that and i just like being creative but it was there's something about learning about the body and how it actually works because I got really into to working out after a breakup and it was just like my way of go of dealing with it uh and so it was like I was working out for the first time and and I thought well why do I do this like why like why do I do a chest press like what does that do why do mm -hmm. I do squats what is that what is that working and I remember just wanting to learn like well, how, how do you get this look or that look? And, and so I just like went to back to school and like, and got certified because I wanted to learn for myself. I didn't know it was going to be a career when mm -hmm. I went into it. I wanted to learn. And when you learn about, you know, working the like most, most exercises that everyone does is in a sagittal plane. And so learning uh, and those words like stuck with me, like a transverse plane versus, right. and, and I got the same thing, like totally geeked out on all of that and like obsessed about how the body works and why we do what we do. And I'm like, I want to always be able to explain 
everything that I do, why I do it, what it does. And, and yeah, it became yeah. a passion. Yeah. And so that, that to me was what it was. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, here's a job that uh, will allow my schedule. It, it just worked out that way. Then I was like, oh, wait, I can move how I want to? Dope. But that's, you know, when life, some life kind of guides you a little bit, that, that's what this is. Uh, and so I'm, I'm blessed that while I'm pursuing my creative uh, side, I, I enjoy my job yeah at the same time yeah that is very blessed because a lot of people actors have to work at a restaurant or a bar and it's not their passion they don't like doing it but it brings in the money so that they pay bills bills while they're but um yeah i feel like we are very blessed to have found something that we love to do it doesn't feel like work at all at all meet really cool people uh, they become family, and then on top of it, you get to be flexible to do other things that you want to do. It's mm-hmm. um, so that's so. What do you see for your future? Because I know that you you do it all. You write. Uh, you're hilarious. You do stand up. You're an actor, and I always said I see you doing like a sitcom. Like I see you, uh, yeah, like being the star of a sitcom. And, and so what, but what do you see for your future, like your ideal, like where you want to be? So the dream job has always been uh, Martin, the TV show, Martin, where Martin was an executive producer, he was a writer, and he was a star. That's always been the goal. Um, and I keep that as my driving motivating goal i got one of the dopest gifts for christmas from my homegirl natasha which is legitimately jerome from martin on the wall looking out to the himalayas and that's like it's on my wall framed uh because that's the goal so the goal is i used to sing marvin instead of martin yeah like so it was a that's the goal. So I've, I have a couple scripts now that one's really fucking good uh, that we're looking to pitch, and uh, that'll be it. That that'll that's that's always been a dream job. Five six years, you never know how long your show will go, but to be able to do that to create and just have fun because that's the thing. Like one of the things I've done is I've been able to work a few projects. And some of those projects, you work with people that you don't really know. And it's cool, but there's something very different than being in a room full of your boys, making money mm-hmm. and having fun. Like the, the, the writer's room for the project I did for Kevin Hart's LOL Network, mm-hmm. we laughed the entire time. It sounded like nothing was getting done, yeah. but we delivered eight episodes. Amazing. with on time no problem and was loved right mm-hmm. but it was so like it never felt like work right. one moment mm-hmm. that's the goal. 12 13 14 15 hour days should feel like work it didn't, it yeah. didn't. uh so that's the goal the 
biggest picture goal is to start my own production company to where we're doing films and TV shows. And I guess now I'm really dealing with uh, social media platforms uh, and really getting that going because I want to, the, the biggest goal is I want to start opening up rec centers uh, in inner city communities. Um, because like I said, I believe education is the source. So if you can open these rec centers and pay people a livable wage to be able to tutor these kids to play basketball and, and sports and get them off the street and have a place for them to go and to have people who actually live in that community work there because they can afford to pay whatever bills they accumulate all of a sudden what happens is that little kid who whose parents might not be on top of it his neighbor is yeah right and now his neighbor's like hey what are you doing now shouldn't you be at the rec center shouldn't you do this and that kid's like oh you're right and that's because the person that they check into is the same person that they see. But in order to have rec centers like that, you need government funding and privatized funding. So the privatized funding would come from my production company and the government funding, and we would, we would make it work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. So that's, that's the goal. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I know you're going to do it. Because you're very driven. Yeah, I'm these talented. Um, so yeah, I look forward to it. And I just love you. I think you have the biggest heart. And I'm just lucky to know you. And Equinox just opened back up. And I will be there. Okay. Well, I will see you there. Or, yeah, I'm gonna go and we'll see each other. I'm excited. I feel like things are finally like getting back to some sort of normalcy slowly. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping we aren't doing... People out here are fucking crazy. That's like, <laughs> everyone's back out in the streets like COVID stopped. COVID didn't stop. I know, it didn't stop. I mean, I still, you know, wear my, like, wear my mask everywhere, even when I, like, walk the dog and stuff. And, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, like... I had a friend go to Equinox today, um, a member, and and I'm like, send me pictures. Like, I want to see how it looks. And there was, like, no one in there. And I'm like, yeah. there was one other person. And he was showing me, like, all the cardio, and he's sitting there by himself. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> it's 10% capacity, so yeah. there's space and there's, you know, it's fine. The only I think the, the worst place is the bench press because every guy only bench presses. So outside of that, the rest of it's been cool. And it was probably a Monday. <laughs> it was a Monday. It was a Monday at six. And I was like, yeah. universal chest day. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I just, like, I see people eating inside and stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Not yet. Baby steps. But, um, but I am excited because I do, I am going to start training a couple more people in person. I've still been training people, like, moreover zoom and facetime mm -hmm. so it will be nice um to to see some people in person and like of course i like still wearing a mask training them outside but just the fact that we're in person and, now yeah. and like getting a little closer to some sort of normal i'm like Ugh, 
Because I really thought this was going to last two weeks, and here we are a year later. Like, we all thought. We were like, oh, two weeks downtime? Loki yeah. became an alcoholic for two weeks? Because <laughs> why not? I was like, I could finally binge watch something on Netflix that I had. Like, everyone talks about this show or that show. I'm like, I finally have time. And I, like, I totally took advantage. I got onto TikTok. I was like, this is I saw you. two weeks. I'm going to last a little longer than that. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll get a dog and, like, get comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> get comfortable. That is the right word. Well, I'm glad I got to talk. I miss you so much. I'm going to see you in the next couple of days, and I'm going to give you a hug, so you better be prepared. As long as you have your mask on. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you soon. I love you. Thanks for having me. It's been Thank a pleasure. Oh, yeah, I'm going to plug myself. Talk about yourself because you have – yeah, tell, tell everybody what you have. Plug myself. Uh, no, so every two weeks, uh, Chris, who you've seen or listened to in the last podcast, and uh, I do a show every two weeks. Uh, it's called Friday Funnies, and it's it's a dope Zoom stand-up show. It, it's, it sounds weird that it's a Zoom stand-up show, and I'm sitting comfortably in my chair, but it is a dope show. We have a real chill vibe everyone who's come to it was like man i like the vibe of this show so that's every other week you can find it i posted every other week on my instagram which is at marvin telp t-e-l-p i'm doing a podcast it's called the coolest nerd you've ever met so if you like anime marvel universe really really nerdy stuff which most people don't like, but if you do, or if you're looking to get into it, Coolest Nerd You've Ever Met podcast, we're actually growing. It's becoming, it's getting really fun. Um, everything else I post, I put out, come find, oh, there's a new series on Black Oak TV, which is a new app, um, and I'm doing it with the guys from Dormtainment, and it's called Unknown Stories from Unknown People. And it is just as foolish as it sounds, but it is so much fun to watch. So if you can, check it out. I'm done plugging myself. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan. Awesome. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. And um, yeah, and I appreciate it. And I'm going to check out, because you do that, that podcast. I mean, I don't know... I, I like the Marvel movies. I don't know much about anime, but you do it with another co-worker of ours that we had, Raph. Yeah. Yeah, Raph. So I'm going to check that out because that, that is the one thing I don't that I haven't checked out of you guys yet. But I, I love your Zoom uh, comedy shows. And I was the same, like, how is this going to work? Because I worked in comedy for a long time doing photography for all the... And so I learned a lot. And I'm like, the room is everything. Like, if you have a weird room like stand-up doesn't work and and it works like you guys are hilarious and it's somehow like I was telling Chris this like you play off each other and with zoom it like goes back and forth with whoever's talking and so I set it to that screen and I'm like somehow this works and it's hilarious and it was it was a lot of fun you go ahead and advertise Morgan I'm gonna give me this clip so I can post it on my page <laughs> All right. Well, I love you, and I will see you in the next couple of days. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
拜拜。Bye.